PM board bombs. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast where we help you study not only for boards, but really EM life. One rapid podcast at a time. I'm Blake Briggs, and I'm not joined today by Dr. Iltafat Hussein. We'll talk about that in a second. I'm sure we'll be pleased to hear about the recent update in Dr. Hussein's life. This is a continuing series of collaboration we have with ASIP's Peer Board Review, but it's a twist. This question module we are doing is part of the ASEP Peer Cert. So ASEP is basically modeling their Peer Cert Plus questions after the ABEM writing process. So they're creating questions to mirror how emergency physicians manage specific presentations in their everyday practice. For each 15-minute episode, you gain high-yield board knowledge. As you like to say, come for the stems, stay for the content. Of course, it would be just a crime to not mention the EM Rapid Bombs podcast, which is our premium content. If you enjoy EM Board Bombs and want a TikTok version of our podcast, that's what our Rapid Bombs podcast is. We prepare you for boards and clinical practice. Don't waste your time just studying for boards. Do both at the same time. Unlike other EM study resources, our premium podcast is the only one that downloads to your favorite podcast player on your smartphone. In other words, you use Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or any other podcast player, and EM Rapid Bombs will download directly to your app of choice. Wow, it's magical. No need to download some separate clunky app that has its own login codes and crashes when you're attempting to listen. We have over 225 podcast episodes and counting on Rapid Bombs. Each episode is just two to four minutes. We drop high-yield board bombs in question-answer format, so we get seared into your memory. So don't waste your time studying just for the test with traditional question banks. Optimize your time by listening to our board pearls that will help you with the test, but more importantly, with life. All right, so Dr. Hussein will not be joining us this week. He's actually out buying camping supplies because I roped him and our friend Joseph into another adventure this coming July. Oh, don't worry. We will be telling you all about it soon. Little does he know, the place I am taking him to hike might be one of the most isolated, difficult, and primeval sites in North Carolina. But it's a good thing he doesn't listen to my solo episodes ever, so it's between us. Let's get into the STEM here. Pretty cool topic today. We have a 32-year-old female presenting to the ED with palpitations. She states she just binge-watched the Netflix series Lincoln Lawyer. Not the movie, the new series. She says she cannot sit still and is now tweeting details of the show. She did seem disappointed that Matthew McConaughey was not the star of this version. You console her. When you enter the room, she is typing on her phone, but her eyes appear huge. You ask her how long her eyes have appeared that way. She states, Nah, Doc. This is a filter I use on my Insta to help my eyelashes. You politely redirect her, saying that you were asking about her actual eyes, not the phone. Her heart rate is in the 120s. She tells you later that she has a history of Graves' disease. When managing a thyroid storm, which statement best describes the correct order of treatment? Choice A, iodine, thionamide, and a beta blocker. Choice B, iodine, thionamide, and a butyrol. Choice C, thionamide, iodine, and a calcium channel blocker. Choice D, 
bionamide, iodine, and steroids. Correct answer here is choice D, thionamide, iodine, and steroids. So when we talk about thyroid storm, I remember learning as a medical student, this was probably one of the more badass endocrine problems, even though it's like not that common at all. It's pretty rare. I remember hearing about it, and I was like, what is a thyroid storm? We have to have our own music for it, obviously, because it's thyroid storm. I invited my friend Chris, Christopher Nolan. We, we are on a first-name basis. To come on the podcast, um, sorry, I'll talk. Chris and I were on FaceTime the other day, just you know, chatting away, uh, talking about his new films coming up. He suggested that uh, he's included on this upcoming podcast, Thyroid Storm, really a, a popular topic of him, passion of his. Um, so he's very happy we're talking about it on this episode. So let's cue this episode. Brace yourselves. Thyroid Storm is coming. So in the treatment of Thyroid Storm, the order of therapy is very important, and that mandates that thionamides are given at least one hour prior to iodine. So let's talk about thyroid storm. It's rare, but it has a high mortality rate, ranging from 10 to 30%. It's more commonly precipitated by an acute stress event like surgery, trauma, or infection. Less commonly, it's from untreated hyperthyroidism, especially in the 21st century. So common physical exam findings, let's just dive into this for diagnosis. Hyperpyrexia, temperatures often greater than 102 Fahrenheit. Skin, you know, obviously erythematous, warm, is going to touch thinning of hair potentially. So what about the eyes? So everybody likes to focus in on this. And it's funny because it's actually not that obvious, as the test question and textbooks like to tell you. So only Graves' disease has exophthalmos. Inflammation of the extraocular eye muscles and connective tissue results in proptosis and impaired eye function due to edema. You're also going to have lid lag on exam. What about the neck? Well, goiter, only really seen in graves. Not always reliable. Cardiac exam. Well, gee, I wonder. It's probably going to be tachycardic, right? Heart rate often exceeds greater than 140 in about greater than 60% of patients. Pretty significant. AFib is one of the more common arrhythmias found. It's about 20% of patients. What about neurologic or psychiatric symptoms? Well, a lot of these patients are going to have agitation, restlessness, emotional ability, sometimes, if severe enough, psychosis. You can have a high association with mortality. You know, I like to compare this to excited delirium in a way, right? When we talk about causes, Graves' disease is by far the most common one. Other two causes are toxic multinodular goiter and iodine-induced hyperthyroidism. Whoa, that is way too much, right? This is an EM podcast. Let's stick to the shallow coral reef of board pearls. EM Boar Bomb is bringing you high-yield boar pearls harvested daily from the coral reefs of knowledge. That's bold. You can also tell, based on that example, that I am recording this podcast late after a 12-hour shift in the ED. <laughs> so that's why I'm quite delirious. Diagnosis. So these are sick patients. They require a large differential and a generous workup. All patients with overt hyperthyroidism, or otherwise known as thyroid storm, <laughs> just doesn't get old ever, will have clinical constellation of symptoms and low TSH. Serum TSH, however, cannot determine the cause or degree of hyperthyroidism, and a high free T4 and or T3, however, is going to be helpful here, right? 
That's why it's important to order those tests with a TSH. So there are no validated clinical tools available to assist in diagnosis. A high index of suspicion in patients is needed in those with fever, tachycardia, and psychological symptoms, especially those with a history of other endocrine autoimmune disorders. You know, that statement in and of itself, now that I'm reading it, even though I wrote the handout for this subject, well, that's fairly obvious. I mean, <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. Determining causes will likely not occur in the ED, although most commonly the cause is graves, right, when it comes to hyperthyroidism. And what they're going to do here later, testing-wise, that happens outside the ED is radioiodine uptake and or thyrotropin receptor antibody measurements. And, hey, that's going to occur in the ICU, right? These patients are going to go upstairs eventually. Never going to delay treatment, though, right? So let's talk about the treatment that's the focus of this ASEP question. And it should be without delay and in a distinct order as outlined here. Number one, you want to control unstable beta adrenergic symptoms. And that's with beta blockers. Step number one, beta blockers. Step number two, you want to stop hormone release, and this is the thionamides, which we're going to get into in a minute, which is PTU, methamazole. I'm trying to say PTU because I don't want to say the full name, but I have to at least once, which is propiothyrouracil, which is one heck of a name. Step three, you're going to stop new hormone production, giving iodine. And finally, step four, the last step, you're going to reduce the inflammatory burden. Again, reviewing here, step one, get beta blocker. Step two, give thionamide. Step three, give iodine. Step four, the last step, give glucocorticoids. So let's talk about the details here of each step and wrap this up. Step one here, beta blockade, right? Propanolol is the one we always talk about. That's when you learn in med school. It has the added benefit of reducing T3 levels by inhibiting one of those enzymes that you don't need to know. <laughs> Why propanolol? It is for sure the correct answer on boards, but it doesn't have to be in real life. For cardiac patients or those with asthma COPD, Beta-1 selectivity and titratability would be preferred, right? Esmolol, metoprolol, dotiazem, they can all be used. In fact, esmolol is best suited for IV form due to its rapid titration and minimizing adverse effects and quick on-off function. So step two, thionamides. Thionamides, again, is either going to be PTU or methamazole. PTU is favored as peripheral blockage of conversion of T4 to T3. However, there's actually no difference ever documented in mortality and morbidity in patients receiving either drug. Now, I know people are going to talk about this on rounds. Now, if you're an EM physician, if you forgot what rounds are, it's when doctors upstairs go see their patients and they talk about them outside the room, sometimes in front of the patient too. It can take hours. <laughs> and one of those interesting conversations that always happens on rounds when I was a med student was the difference between methamazole and PTU. As an EM physician, you shouldn't care too much. There's going to be some minor details here that could pop up, but in general, all the side effects and things you got to worry about happen later when it's a conversation about uh, what to give upon discharge. So I want you to just push that out of your brain, not worry about it. The important thing to know is that, one, thionamides are only in PO form. That's a big deal. So either the patient is able to tolerate PO intake, which is debatable if it's really severe thyroid storm, or they're intubated with an NGOG tube. So the side effects for both, it's not unique to either one. Both can cause agranulocytosis and hepatotoxicity. But these are complications, again, that occur much later in the patient's care, not typically observed in the ED, more low yield. I don't think you have to really focus on memorizing that. Step three, iodine. This can be in the form of potassium iodine or Lugol's solution, which sounds like a Harry Potter spell, honestly, or a Harry Potter-like potion class session. Add one drop of Lugol's solution. <laughs> 
it should be given one hour after thionamide dose to prevent it from being used as a substrate, obviously. And this is this whole Wolf-Chaikoff effect, which it sounds honestly like a diabolical Cold War operation. The Wolf-Chaikoff incident, right? It's almost like you've heard of Chernobyl, but have you heard of the Wolf-Chaikoff effect? <laughs> anyway, it's this thing when a large bolus of iodine inhibits further T4 and T3 production in the thyroid, and it prevents the production of new hormone for five to seven days, and it begins working within a few hours. So it's a pretty interesting effect. Last step here, glucocorticoids. So this is going to be in the form of hydrocortisone, 100 milligrams every eight hours. And what we do here is glucocorticoids reduce T4 to T3 conversion, possibly reduce the autoimmune process in Graves' disease. They should not be given in hyperthyroidism absent of storm. It's really important here. Don't ever give steroids absent of thyroid storm. What about other critical care measures? Well, we would be remiss to say, you know, you're going to give Tylenol for fever. You're going to aggressively look for infections. Given empiric antibiotic coverage, not a bad call on the majority of these patients that are really sick. You're going to early intubate a lot of these people for control of airway and proper administration of medications. And for those with Graves' disease, you know, you're going to start thinking about radioactive iodine or thyroidectomy when clinically stable in five to seven days. Again, not a conversation and not a discussion you're going to have. These patients can be in the ICU, but it's always good to know the kind of end of the road where these patients are going, right? And of course, rate control for AFib, which can be achieved with your beta blockers. Remember, propanolol, not always the right answer, could be esmolol. Okay, let's talk about incorrect answers. Choice A, that mentioned giving a beta blocker, but it's wrong because it is not given first in that answer choice of all the other therapies. So the order of therapies was wrong in that case. It was saying to give thionamide and iodine before beta blocker, which was wrong. Choice B is wrong simply because it mentions albuterol. Albuterol is not standard therapy for thyroid storm. Choice C mentions calcium channel blockers, which, well, they're also not part of thyroid storm treatment. And that's it. So, again, that's another board bomb delivered. Remember, you can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at emboardbombs as well as Instagram. Check out the ASEP PeerCert Plus questions with using the ABEM writing process. They are creating questions to mirror how EM physicians manage specific presentations in their everyday practice. Again, check out our premium podcast, EM Rapid Bombs, as well. You can go to our website, the main website, www.emporebombs.com or emrapidbombs.supercast.com. You can check out the link in the show notes of this podcast. Hopefully, Dr. Hussein will be with us next episode. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Thank you.